0: Spectrum's brought to you by the Scripps College of Communication at Ohio University. Before a new idea can become a way of thinking, before one detail can flip the narrative, before anything that matters can change the world, it must, above all, be known. The duty of the Scripps College of Communication is to bring forth the people who bring forth the knowledge. By word or image or data stream and in every medium and by all means, they succeed. They say, make it loud, make it clear, make it known. Learn more at ohio.edu slash Scripps College. Welcome to Spectrum. I'm your host, Tom Hodson. On Spectrum, we cover a wide range of topics that are important to our daily lives. We feature journalists, authors, scholars, policymakers, activists, scientists, innovators, and sometimes people who just have fascinating stories. Today's guest is Rebecca Fannin. She's an author, a CNBC contributor, and a media entrepreneur. Her career is spanned from New York to Silicon Valley to Asia. Her latest book is called Silicon Heartland, where she explores the Midwest's emergence from the Rust Belt to being a high-tech homeland. Rebecca, your latest book, Silicon Heartland, tell us about it. What's what's it about?
1: It's very timely for Ohio and the entire heartland, transforming the Midwest from Rust Belt to Tech Belt.
0: What prompted you to, uh, you've got experience all over the world. You've uh, certainly written before Silicon Dragon, Startup Asia, Tech Titans of China. Uh, You've been on the West Coast, you're on the East Coast. What brought you back home to the heartland?
1: I have to blame it on COVID. Really? In part, because I was spending a lot of time overseas in China, India, all over Asia, uh, running Silicon Dragon ventures with events and media in many of the leading tech hubs globally, including Israel and London. But when COVID hit, I took all of my events and my news online. I started an Ask a VC series, which is online, and I started going back to the heartland, and I began to notice what I had seen in other leading markets, the beginnings of a tech innovation happening in areas that I knew really well. I grew up in Ohio, so I grew up in Southern Ohio, and I have seen many, many changes. Particularly around Columbus, Ohio, where Intel is building its new semiconductor plant. That's only 30 miles from my hometown and my family's home, still in Ohio. I have been living this and seeing it and experiencing it. And so I wanted to write about it. So during COVID, I embarked on a several month long journey throughout the heartland in my Honda element, driving from one place to the next. I put about 8,000 miles on in no time flat uh, with uh, interviews with entrepreneurs and investors and mayors and town leaders in many of the Heartlands locations, from Pittsburgh to Indianapolis, from Dayton to Flint to uh, Louisville, Kentucky, uh, you name it, I was there. And I went back again. I did interviews all in person, even during COVID, <laughs> uh, practicing social distancing and wearing masks. Uh, I was able to interview so many leaders because, you know, back then nobody was traveling; everyone right. was available. So, so uh, that really helped me with the research on the book.
0: Absolutely. Uh, Why is this story not being covered more by others? You know, you've really tapped into something uh, that, uh, you know, it's not unique, but it, it has a unique perspective because it gets ignored by most media.
1: That's true. It does get ignored by most media. It's covered locally and regionally, but it's not covered nationally and not at all internationally.
0: Why the is the news?
1: That? The news crews are based in New York, San Francisco, LA, Miami, and they tend to cover things that they know well in their own locale. The Heartland does not have any national media there, it's all local and regional. And as we've seen, what's happened to many publications, newspapers, and magazines, uh, they are much thinner than they used to be, even if they still exist. Uh, So there is a real shortage of coverage of what's happening in the heartland. And I'm trying to fill that gap. I have a lot of experience outside of Ohio and outside of Silicon Valley, although I spent a good chunk of my time in Silicon Valley. So I can see these trends happening. I was one of the first to write about China's tech rise. Nobody believed it when my first book came out in 2008, Silicon Dragon. Now I think I'm on to something else with Silicon Heartland, and I want to be one of the first journalists covering it on a national level. And so I think um, the story is very topical now, and I hope to continue to spread the word and get more attention from the coast in the heartland. It's not just immediate uh, coverage, but it's also investment coverage. The heartland uh, lacks uh, enough investment to get startups off the ground in a big way. Silicon Valley still has uh, half of the venture capital in the United States, followed by Boston and New York, and three-quarters of the money goes into those three hubs. And so the heartland is left out. Now, that's changing, and that's what I write about in my new book. There are new players like Drive Capital out of Columbus and... Uh, Many others. High Alpha in 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 Indianapolis, Route One in Columbus. Uh, Every one of these locales has its own venture capital uh, group uh, that's spurring the action, and they all have economic development groups behind them too, because the tech technology is the future, and they all want to get in this new tech economy. No one wants to be stuck back with rust. (laughs) So it's about you know going from. Rust attack. its a gigantic leap.
0: Well, you—you've covered uh, so many areas that you <laughs> really are in the Rust Belt. I, I'm thinking of Dayton. I'm thinking of Cleveland, Pittsburgh. Sure. Uh, all of all of those places. Uh, Columbus, not so much. Uh, but. You're seeing a major turnaround. How did you find the people to talk with? How did you discover what was going on? I know you're a dynamite reporter, but but talk a little bit about how you found the people to paint this story that you painted.
1: I practiced my journalism skills very well (laughs) that I learned at uh, Scripps. I started out with uh, phone calls and Zoom meetings, lots of Zoom meetings before I even went on the road so that I had a schedule of interviews um, over a about two months, a schedule of interviews from town to town to town, which were already booked in advance uh, before I got in my Honda Element and started driving. So yeah, so I did a lot of on the ground research, uh, but I also was very well prepared in advance with um, talking to people about the trends and who else should I talk to? Tell me who else should I talk to and one thing would lead to the next. You should talk to this person Then you should talk to this person and so I did. And I was doing four and five Zoom meetings a day with people in the heartland And I was connecting to them. I was in Silicon Valley, but I was connecting to them over Zoom, and I felt like I was right at home. Uh, And everyone was very willing to talk. Uh, They wanted to get the message out about this next Silicon Valley that's rising. And so um, the reporting just kind of fell in place. Um, And I tend to be very organized and Uh, putting together an itinerary of interviews and schedule of going from one place to the next. So that was all set. And um, uh, I think you really have to do on the ground reporting. Uh, You have to do the interviews in person to get a sense of what's going on. And that's what I did. Um, Although originally I had a lot of advanced work working with Zoom interviews. But then doing the in-person interviews really paid off, I think.
0: Did you find distinct differences in the kind of tech industries that may be going into Kansas as opposed to Ohio, as opposed to Pennsylvania or Indiana?
1: Definitely. That, that's one of the things that I discovered in doing this research and doing the interviews is that each place had its own cluster. And that's good because they can't all compete for the same uh, the same technologies. And so I saw in Cleveland the biotech innovations, a lot of it being fed by the Cleveland Clinic and Case Western. Uh, in Columbus, there's a lot around health tech uh, and, the, and insurance uh, fed by nationwide of course, uh, which is based in Columbus. In Cincinnati it's packaged goods, a lot of innovation around packaged goods and supply chain because of PNG, Kroger, Amazon has uh, has a major presence there. I think um, in Pittsburgh, it was all about robotics and AI, uh, being fed by uh, Carnegie Mellon and all the graduates that uh, all the engineers who graduate from CMU and computer scientists. So each one of these places is seeing Silicon Valley companies moving in. Pittsburgh has Google, Facebook, um, and uh, others. Uh, that have set up operations in Pittsburgh to tap into the talent, the local talent in that region. Same thing happening in Columbus now with Intel, same thing in other locales. So uh, it really, there has to be a feeder. It's usually some kind of feeder, uh, sometimes a college, sometimes an institution, and that helps this whole technology innovation to get off the ground and to specialize, um, which I think is a really good thing.
0: The legislation that Congress passed just recently, the the CHIPS legislation, how is that going to impact the heartland and the tech emergence in the heartland?
1: Right. Well, uh, I'm hearing about uh, new initiatives that are based on this Build Back Better plan, and and they're getting capital uh, based on that and uh, setting up innovation centers in places like uh, Tulsa, Uh, Bentonville, um, you know, Columbus with Intel, Uh, so Intel, you know, uh, was pausing in its construction until the CHIPS Act actually passed, and they got the, you know, money that they they needed, the government subsidy that they needed, so yes, government money is an important part of this whole package, and I think the CHIPS Act And the idea of building out regional innovation frontiers is really important, and it's getting federal government attention. Uh, This is a really good sign.
0: The Intel plant in Columbus, uh, they've started construction. They estimate maybe three years uh, for construction. Just use that as a microcosm, if you would, Rebecca, and how will that impact the Columbus metro area as far as jobs and and other economic factors?
1: Right. Uh, It's going to impact it uh, in a big way. Uh, Many of the universities and colleges are uh, being designated as leading various initiatives to develop talent. And uh, that's one aspect of it. Um, another aspect of it is uh, the increase in the labor force uh, and the transformation of an agricultural area into a technology area called Silicon Heartland. They're calling it Silicon Heartland, like the title of my book. Um, so I think it's it's hugely transformative uh, with labor, with talent, um, with... Um, well, uh, changing from an agricultural to a tech innovation driven economy, it's a big change. These are cornfields that are out there and uh, there being the farms and the cornfields um, are construction sites now outside of Columbus around New Albany. I've visited them and I've seen it uh, twice in different stages of development. Yeah, it's very interesting to see. And
0: it's going to be Uh, massive, massive. All of what you've talked about, I know what you've written about, uh, most of it is encouraging. However, there are realistic challenges uh, facing the development of tech in in the heartland. Talk to us about those and uh, what challenges do you see to this really exploding?
1: Well, it's about the digital divide. Some places will ride this tech wave, and others will be out of it entirely. You see places in Appalachia uh, where they don't have internet yet. And you see uh, immense poverty in many of these places, poor education, uh, opium usage, overdoses. Is still a problem. Uh, These are a lot of social issues that need to be addressed before all of the Rust Belt can rise up. Parts of it can. Pittsburgh is, Columbus is, uh, Dayton is, Cleveland is, Cincinnati is. But places like Flint uh, and Detroit and Youngstown have a long way to go. The poverty level is 30%. Uh, there's, poor, there's still uh, a lack of education, and uh, I think this has to be addressed. I'll need to have the entire heartland uh, moving ahead. So Ro Khanna, some, the congressman from Silicon Valley, who endorsed my book, uh, he talked about this digital divide and, um, and dignity in a digital age. Uh, we need everyone to be coming along with that and that's a huge, huge investment in infrastructure and in education to bring everyone along. And I think I have to credit West Virginia uh, in moving ahead with some very creative initiatives uh, such as uh, teaching high schoolers how to run a business and actually having them uh, create uh, sort of fake businesses that they run and everyone has a role. Things like that that can help um, the younger generation uh, get on board uh, and not feel left out.
0: Is there going to be a, a workforce to meet all the new tech uh, enterprises going on? And you know, is are we relying on just the young people that you talked about being educated? Or are we looking at the factory workers and their their families who traditionally worked in the the rust industries, you know, yeah. being retrained?
1: Right. Now, retraining is a very big part of this transformation, and that's why Intel is has all these education initiatives and has appointed various colleges and universities to head up certain aspects of it, like technical training or uh, or health tech or veterinarian uh, or new jobs that can come in Um, so it needs to be um, a retrained workforce you can't just go from being on the assembly line to working in a place where robots and AI are driving a lot of the action Uh, you need uh, to take that leap somehow, so maybe some people are going to be left behind in this transition if they don't embrace it, if they don't look to the future. Technology and digital is leading. Uh, a lot of innovation today, and if you don't embrace it, you'll be left behind.
0: We'll be back after this message. The Scripps College of Communication at Ohio University seeks to not only educate students about today's communication industry, but to produce innovative leaders who will shape the future of communication and its methods of delivery in a rapidly changing technological landscape. Scripps provides leadership and communication by preparing students to be effective and responsible communicators in a global society and by advancing the field through creative activity and research. The Scripps College of Communication fosters multicultural awareness within a diverse community. It strives to create a climate of civility where leadership and innovation are prized and responsibility and accountability are understood. The college values curriculum, research, and creative activity that provide benefits to people regionally, nationally, and globally. Learn more at ohio.edu slash College. Politics seem to drive everything these days, and... and various political camps um they got the bill through congress uh uh, on a sort of bipartisan basis finally um but how much do politics play especially in the heartland which is tends to be more conservative in their politics
1: right i well we're seeing some of this play out right now in ohio with the race between Tim Ryan and J.D. Vance. Very interesting, uh, with J.D. Vance leaning on Trump uh, to boost his campaign. And what I'm hearing is that uh, Tim Ryan, uh, there's a lot of negative ads going back and forth. Uh, so, yeah, politics plays a big part of this. And um, these uh, both these candidates have don't know the Rust Belt. Uh, and they know what's required to move ahead. Uh, so I think that's a good thing. Uh, but, yeah, definitely uh, Washington, D.C., if you're in Washington, D.C., and you're looking at this, it's rather remote, but if you're in the heartland and in these states and in these cities that you're seeing the transition taking place, you definitely um, uh, know what's what's coming, and you can... Uh, introduce new new legislation. I'm just thinking of Tim Ryan being on the comeback capital tours of the Rust Belt, where venture capitalists were brought in from the coast, from New York City and San Francisco, uh, to go and explore these places. And so the political angle was definitely there um, and was in part initiated by politicians because we need jobs. It's all about jobs and, and created, uh, creating a better economy for everyone. So politics plays a big part of it.
0: Who's advocating for tech, high tech in, in the heartland in the switch over from Rust Belt to, to technology? You know, is it just individual governors, individual congressmen, individual senators, you know, uh, entrepreneurs? You know, who, who's the main advocates here?
1: Right. Well, I have a chapter in my book called Town Champions. Right. Uh, uh, So that brings in people like John Chambers, who is very well known, Silicon Valley technology executive, who is a West Virginia University graduate, who is giving back to his alma mater uh, with various initiatives, including a new business school on campus. Um, a new venture fund uh, created uh, from initiatives introduced uh, by the state and by the university uh, to provide more money for startups. I'm also thinking of Brad Smith, who was the former uh, CEO of Intuit. Of course, John Chambers, very famous as the former CEO of Cisco. Mm -hmm. Uh, But uh, Brad Marshall, I mean, Brad Smith, has just recently joined Marshall University as president. Now, Brad was head of Intuit for many years, and he returned home. He's from West Virginia to lead Marshall University, and he is behind this remote West Virginia bringing back, bringing workers in, entrepreneurs in from other locations and actually paying them to relocate. Uh, West Virginia has this kind of program Uh, Tulsa has this kind of program with Tulsa Remote uh, where they're paying entrepreneurs to move in. Uh, So I think uh, town champions, in the case of Tulsa, it's the George Kaiser Foundation. In the case of West Virginia, it's Brad Smith and and, uh, John Chambers. And also it takes local champions, not not these well-known national figures, but local champions. For instance, I'm thinking of Portsmouth, Ohio. Uh, along the, uh, in Scioto County, along the Ohio River, the opioid center of the nation, unfortunately. Yeah, well, there are people there who are, they call friends of Portsmouth. It's lawyers, um, bankers, investors. In fact, one of the people that I interviewed uh, is now the mayor of Portsmouth. Uh, and he was um, an educator at Shawnee State University. Now he's just recently named the mayor. Uh, He has a lot of ideas about what can help bring Portsmouth forward, Um, and uh, there are other people like him in Portsmouth, and every place has a town champion who's local, but also on the national level, it's really important to have somebody who can get the message out on a national level like John Chambers can.
0: What about the uh, role of universities? I know you mentioned earlier there have been some partnerships with Carnegie Mellon and and Case Western and other universities. But sometimes universities seem to be behind the curve. And as you know, things move glacially in universities. Uh, are, Are they getting up to speed to help with this?
1: Yes, well, I'm thinking of Ohio University uh, with an innovation center on campus, and OU is also uh, helping to fund some initiatives in the Appalachian uh, area. And so I think, uh, yeah, you are seeing that universities can play a very important part of the uh, whole revival or rejuvenation of the Rust Belt or Appalachia uh which used to lead industry, I mean, decades ago before everything went techie and moved to Silicon Valley or moved to China uh, in terms of production. So yeah, I think you are seeing uh, universities uh, behind getting behind uh new initiatives, new investment initiatives in startups. uh, And um OU actually had a very big success with a company out of Plains, Plains, Ohio, very near Athens. Uh, a company that um, was helping during the COVID situation of storing uh, vaccines in in ultra high temperature or low temperature um, refrigerators. They had this technology and this company is called Global Cooling uh, and it was partly funded by OU uh, and uh, their initiative to uh, fund startups. Uh, So... That company was acquired. It's, it had played a big role in the whole vaccine uh, vaccine distribution uh, and um, uh, deserves a lot of credit. There are other many there are many other examples, but that one, that one comes uh, close to home. I think.
0: Rebecca, let me ask you. You know, you spent a lot of time in the Far East and and wrote Silicon Dragon and Startup Asia and Tech Titans of China. Do you see? Any similarities between what you saw and reported there and this emergence in the heartland?
1: There are similarities. Entrepreneurs tend to have personalities that are very maverick, uh, going against the grain, uh, very passionate about what they're doing. So entrepreneurs world over are the same. Uh, There are many factors that are very different. Uh, For instance, in China... Uh, the government plays more of a hand mm-hmm. in uh, the push of new technologies. And there's another key difference in that China was able to leap forward into new technologies because it didn't have anywhere to start from. It was starting from scratch. So it could make this leap right away, where in the Rust Belt, we have to rebuild. Uh, There's still a lot of factories there that are abandoned that need to be uh, repurposed. And many buildings, warehouses need to be repurposed. We can't just start from scratch. We have to rebuild and then go to the next level. So it's more um, multifaceted in the Rust Belt uh, than in China. But again, it's the same forces that drive it, venture capital. Uh, switched on entrepreneurs, uh, tech hubs, uh, universities, for instance, Kingwell out of Beijing, and the whole tech hub that's around that, uh, and incubators, accelerators, same, same in both places. You have to have that as, as an incentive and a place for entrepreneurs to get started, and that's a very important part of the whole picture.
0: I know you wrote... Uh, your book about the Heartland, Silicon Heartland, uh, right Right in the title. Uh, are you going to continue to report on this emergence?
1: Oh, yes, uh, definitely. Um, just this week, uh, I met up with Heartland Forward out of uh, Bentonville, and I met, out with, met up with Tulsa Remote. Both of them have new initiatives that I'm going to be reporting on to help uh, spur innovation and help startups get off the ground. So, yes, I'm definitely covering it. I'm going to be speaking at the Comeback Capital Conference in Columbus in in mid-October. So I'm going to be uh, in the heartland, speaking at events, going on a road tour with the book, uh, and connecting with the local economic groups and the universities and the students and the entrepreneurs with a message that yes, you could do it. You know, it takes, takes, uh, takes courage, takes confidence. Uh, that's something that I think the breast uh, belt needs a little bit more of this confidence aspect that I see in Silicon Valley every day. In Silicon Valley people do startups. Uh, one fails. Uh, okay, no problem. Let me start another one. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so that kind of attitude needs to carry over a little bit more into the heartland.
0: How do people find your book, Rebecca?
1: Well, right now it's online at all the usual book sites, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, uh, Penguin, Random House, Imagine, uh, you name it. Uh, and they can go uh, to our website, Silicon Dragon Ventures, which is the uh, holding area for everything that I'm involved with, including my newsletter and mobile apps and my Ask a VC shows. Uh, So Silicon Dragon Ventures uh, would be a good place to start. And if they want to get the book, uh, yeah, uh, they could pre-order it on any of those book sites I just named. And uh, right now, I think my publisher has a 30% discount (laughs) at uh, Imagine Publishing. Um, and so they would need to enter the promo code HEARTLAND. They'll get a 30% discount there. So let me put a word in about that. Uh, so yeah, lots of places to find the book.
0: Rebecca, thank you so much for talking with us. And uh, best of luck with with your book. And thank you for not forgetting where you came from. And, oh, never. Uh, and, and you know, shining the light on some of the good things happening here in the Heartland.
1: Yes. Uh, OU is a very important part of my uh, upbringing. Thanks. And uh, yes, uh, my hometown Lancaster is about an hour's drive from Athens. And I go back regularly, uh, not just for my book, but for family reasons as well. So I will never forget the Heartland.
0: Appreciate it. Thank you. Today's guest, Rebecca Fannin, has talked about the Midwest's rebirth from the Rust Belt to a high-tech haven. Spectrum is produced by WUB Public Media. Adam Rich is our co-producer. I'm your host, Tom Hudson. Please subscribe to Spectrum. You can do that at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or at NPR One. Spectrum also is available through the NPR podcast directory. We always welcome your feedback, so please rate our podcast or review it through one of your favorite podcast outlets. If you have questions or comments about our podcast or have suggested topics for us to cover, please contact me directly by email. You can do that at hodson at That's hodson, H-O-D-S-O-N, at ohio.edu. Have a good day, everyone.